major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. At Dave's Archives, he personally transfers, archives, and preserves classic commercials from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s and shares them with you. Don't forget about his Friday Night Live stream on, well, guess when? Go to davesarchives.com. By RetroCirc. Take a not-so-silent journey through millennial and Gen X nostalgia with RetroCirc. Look for them on YouTube under RetroCirc, spelt with a Q at the end. RetroCirc, where the Q is not quiet. And by the very generous benefactors who grace us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash telehealthpodcast, including Rhonda Farrell, Rick Kalaki Jr., Chris Michaud, Man Mojack, Meredith Morrissey, Justin Moses, Rabbites, Spare Parts, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. In the late 80s and early 90s, it seemed as though anything with even the most microscopic levels of fame and popularity in one venue got to try their luck at increasing their fame by having an animated counterpart. Michael's Prime is slam This is not to say that every single live-action product turned animated series didn't deserve that kind of treatment, but leave it to the Hollywood milking machine to turn something that got even remotely popular for a period of time a shot at expanding its brand by having an animated spin-off of some kind. The entries we made in our top six dumbest animated adaptations of primetime shows are but a few examples. (coughs) Episode 68. But just because there were some examples that didn't work doesn't mean that there can still be variations that did. For instance, Ghostbusters. No, not those Ghostbusters. I don't have time to open up can after can of worms on this, but yes, when the 1984 Ghostbusters movie turned out to be a hit for Columbia Pictures, it was all but a foregone conclusion for their TV division to expand the brand by making an animated series. And to avoid confusion from that other show, they made sure to slap some distinction on it. We don't call. The show, not unlike the movie, was a hit that's still fondly remembered to this day in spite of how off-model the animated versions were to the live-action counterparts. That's just one example of taking something that was riding high in popularity and striking while the iron was hot. In the case of today's subject, however, the popularity of this entity was white hot when it happened, but it felt more like striking tin instead of iron. There's no preparation for that level of fame. We were so young. Looking back, it's kind of funny that it just happened by accident. You know, there's a million ways you could tell the story of why we broke up. I had a secret to hide, and me leaving the group would set me free. And now. Announcing something new. Tastes homemade, fortified with vitamins. Gets the whole wash clean. Removes stubborn stains and ground in dirt. It's new, new, new. It's the new shows. Our second subject into the world of shows with new in the title focuses on something whose newness was not random and arbitrary like the new show, but instead it was an integral part of this entity's name. An entity that, 
in my honest opinion, I never really understood the appeal of. The year is 1984. The place is Dorchester, Massachusetts. A music producer named Maurice Starr was riding high as the puppet master behind an already existing boy band from the Boston area. For reasons that are better fit for an episode of Behind the Music, Star and New Edition parted ways by the mid-80s. But in spite of some questionable business practices, Star was not to be deterred, as he and producing partner Mary Alford set out to capture lightning in a bottle a second time. The search was on for a group of new kids who were ready to rock the blocks off of neighborhoods nationwide. Enter a 15-year-old aspiring rapper named Donnie Wahlberg. What? No. Donnie Wahlberg. Anyway, Donnie, alongside high school buds Danny Wood, Joey McIntyre, and brothers Jonathan and Jordan Knight, a new quintet was born out of Boston in the hopes of duplicating the success of New Edition. And so, in 1986, the quintet known as New Kids on the Block took the world by storm only for the world to storm all over them. People forget this part, but when the band debuted with their self-titled album in 1986, it was initially a massive flop. Key word being initially, because in spite of that adversity, the band decided to press on with a second album in 1989. This one was called Hangin' Tough, no doubt a metaphor for how their first album underperformed. Through a stroke of luck, good timing, and the whims of a radio station in Florida, one of the singles from that album called Please Don't Go Girl wound up becoming their first major hit thanks to repeated airplay down there, ultimately spreading to the rest of the country like a virus. I don't have to tell you what happened next. Those bedroom walls where once proudly hung Big Sister's Duran Duran pictures and Mom's David Cassidy pinups are now adorned by images of current teen heartthrobs, new kids on the block. You just have to enjoy what you're doing and, and think real positively all the time. The new kids are living up to the title of their smash album, Hangin' Tough, which has already sold over six million copies. By 1990, the new kids became the biggest music act in the world. Bigger than Michael Jackson, bigger than Madonna, just plain big. Not only did the Hangin' Tough album and music videotape ultimately reach multi-platinum status, but so did their original flop album. Because of the newfound popularity, people were willing to give that debut a second chance. And from there, the floodgates opened for the one true indicator of success. Merchandising! Merchandising! Where the real money is made. Pretty much everywhere merchandise of any kind was sold, it was all but a certainty that the Boston Fivesome's faces would be plastered all over them, and the consumers would eat them up like a famine victim, which more than likely stood to reason because among all the merchandise out there, including t-shirts, lunchboxes, comic books, and a number of other things, yes, there was even a breakfast cereal. All the while, the group's third album, Step by Step, was about to make the wave of popularity the size of a tsunami. A popularity that, I'm sorry to say and sad to report, I simply could not understand back then and I still don't now. To be fair, I was about six years old at the time, so my interests weren't exactly focused on so-called hip and trendy things. 
I was still watching Looney Tunes and the Jetsons at that age. Also, as somebody who possesses male genitals, it wasn't like I was ever going to be a fan of theirs to begin with, so forgive me in advance if any of the next few minutes comes off as a little more... slanted than usual. If you liked them long ago, or even currently, more power to you. They simply were never my thing. That being said, the band's popularity was pretty clear thanks in no small part to their audience, as was the merchandising and the money they made off of their success. So now, to put a cherry on top of the Sunday of success, there was only one thing left to do. Enter our returning champions, Deke Entertainment. Deke! Who, for better or worse, was instrumental in a number of cartoon classics in the 1980s and 90s. Of course, they're also a prime example of what goes up must come down. For every hit that they had, like The Littles, Inspector Gadget, or Dennis the Menace, they too would also have the flip side of the coin. Animated series that would go out of their way to capitalize on whatever was hip and trendy in the moment and give them the pen and ink treatment with little regards to animation and story quality in favor of maintaining a budget. One of which we just covered last year. Pro Stars. It's all about helping kids. Deke, along with Big Step Productions, were about to embark on a task that many have tried to perform successfully in the past, only for it to be inevitably called a pale imitation. And if it sounds like I'm burying the lead a little here, it's pretty much because this show follows the playbook of taking existing hot properties and leeching the success of it dry step by step. Step by step! What kind of playbook am I talking about? Let the boys explain. Step one! one. Find a hot property and turn it into an animated series? Check. Step two, two, two. Hire a bunch of voice actors to play the animated counterparts to the real deal because the real performers are too busy with their actual lives? Check times five. Step three, three. In spite of how famous the title character's real life counterparts were in leading otherwise average mundane lives but with lots of money, you have permission to make the lives of their cartoon selves as implausible as you wish. For instance, the Pro Stars team of Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky moonlight as problem-solving pseudo-spies who help children. What the new kids do varies from show to show, but I'm certain they do more than just perform at concerts. Step four, four. When in doubt, add a wise-cracking animal sidekick. Its ability to speak a human language is optional, but in a pinch, maybe a little snickering Muttley style will do. There are other rules in the playbook to go over as time marches on, but for now, those are the core four. Would the formula work? Well, it did work before for the likes of the Ghostbusters, and as of 1990, when this cartoon would air, it was hoping to work for other showbiz properties, nay, cartoons on other networks who were also following the playbook. Off the top of my head, there was the animated Back to the Future series on CBS, an animated Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure show also on CBS until they passed it over to Fox Kids, and NBC having two animated shows with SCTV veterans as the lead characters, Camp Candy with John Candy debuting a year earlier, and Gravedale High with Rick Moranis. These are all actual shows with actual famous people in them that aired on Saturday mornings, and all emblematic of trying to cash in on popular trends. And since those networks were already full up on their schedules, that left ABC, which had a pretty stable, if not mostly disney lineup even back then. 
Nevertheless, the new kids will be part of their 1990 programming block, a move that left this random family from the suburbs of Chicago in total awe. He's incredible. Name one thing Dave got that I haven't got. The handsome, talented, and rich. I only asked for one. <laughs> I can't decide whether the new kids are cuter in real life or as the cartoons. Well, while you're thinking about it, I'm gonna get more chips. Clips like that are the reason why I can never truly hate the internet. But I digress. Point being, does New Kids on the Block have what it takes to break away from the pack of animated cash-in failures of years past or does the group sell out even more than usual? Hi, we're the new kids on the block. We really appreciate all of your phone calls to our private hotline, 1-900-9095-KID. It's great talking to you and sharing our personal thoughts. You know, we're not too young to fall in love, and if you're one of the special callers, you get to talk to us live. A portion of the net proceeds will help we'll to see just how tough calls. they'll hang. After the break. <laughs> This week on Telehell's Premium Content of the Damned. For over 100 years, we've been scrunching and folding toilet paper. Finally, there's a better way. Comfort Wipe, the sanitary paper extension arm and holder. The first improvement to toilet paper as we know it since the 1880s. It extends your reach a full 18 inches while it follows the contours of your body and comfortably cleans. It's as easy to use as a shower brush. Just pop on the toilet tissue and when through, just press the release button and the tissue drops right into the toilet. The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast for just a few bucks a month. You can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now, Back to this week's torture. September 8th, 1990. Tensions in the Middle East rise over relations between Iraq and Kuwait. Goodfellas is released in movie theaters. And at 10.30 a.m., 9.30 Central, as most of the youth of America finishes up their third bowl of cereal, the new kids are just getting started. 
And since I want to get through this one without having to play as much music as I can, I'll tell you about the fever dream I'm seeing in lieu of the show's opening credits. We start with concert footage containing random video effects, one of which is a slap-together rotoscoping job of the boys dancing until they ultimately turn into their pen and ink counterparts. And... I wish I could help you with the rest of it, because there's not a single scrap of a hint of a clue of a notion as to what the overall plot of the show actually is. It's just their animated selves performing in concerts, getting mobbed by fans, doing various other hobbies in the rest of their spare time, but nothing of substance to let us know what we're in for aside from animated kids on the block. Now, what I'm about to do next may fall under the apples and oranges category, but I'd like to show you how another show about an up-and-coming musician introduces itself and their adventures. Take it away, Jerrica Benton. You don't even need to see what's going on to know what a show like Gem promises. Glamour, glitter, fashion, fame, and adventures that are truly, truly, truly outrageous. But at least the visuals are there to help back up the claim. In the case of the new kids, we get them running around and doing random things while their biggest hit plays in the background without the inconvenience of cluing in the viewers about what's going to happen next. They're just banking on the hopes that the new kid's name recognition will be more than enough to get your attention. Which brings us to Hot Property Playbook... Step Having the actual live-action members of your team or group show up via concert interview footage to set up today's story. Again, a la Pro Stars. I guess tutoring on the road has its advantages, but there's nothing like being in a real school. School's a big part of a kid's life. It's one-on-one, -on -one and you can learn you know, more, but sometimes you just want to be with your friends and hang out and goof around. Someday just go into a, a regular school with regular kids and just have a normal day of school. Oh, uh, one other mini tangent before we actually get into the show itself. I'm probably many, many, many decades late in realizing this, but is it me or does the new kid's hit song Step by Step sound just slightly familiar to those with trained ears. I mean, it might have been a coincidence considering both of these shows were released in 1990 under the Deke production banner and it really has nothing to do with anything overall in the grand scheme of things, but I just wanted to be sure I wasn't the last person on earth to notice that. Thank you for indulging me. The power is yours! Anyway, this first episode is titled The New Kid in Class. And given what the real Mr. McIntyre just rambled on about vis-a-vis -vis getting a good education, we begin things with his cartoon counterpart by going to... a prison made out of books and pencils? What? Most kids my age go to school with other kids. Sweet deal. Me? I'm number one in my class. Number one and only. Every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. 
Though school just feels like a prison to little Joey, considering that his schooling takes place on his group's private tour bus, and saying that out loud, I kinda have to wonder just how good Joey actually has it right about now. I mean, he's one-fifth of the biggest touring act in the world, yet he's still a kid, so he has to do his schoolwork with a private tutor on a tour bus which travels cross-country and has every last amenity you can think of to help pamper him. But sure, have your first world problems about school being hard. I mean, it worked for Barbie, didn't it? Math class is tough. Nevertheless, that's the story of this episode. Joey is too cloistered doing schoolwork on a tour bus, so he wants to go to public school. What's wrong? I believe Joe longs for an educational environment with normal peer interaction. You mean he wants to go to a regular high school? And to that end... Okay, maybe the prior rant was a little unwarranted. Of course famous people want to have some semblance of normal in their lives. Especially if you're still a kid and you want as much normal as you possibly can before the heavy weight of adulthood crushes you like a boulder. So, in spite of the dangers of being a celebrity, Joey insists on a public education. But there is a twist. Just for one day! Come on, John! Today? Right now? No way! Quit riffing, John. We got time before the show. Jordan's right. Joey Joe here hardly got a chance to see what high school was like. Yeah, thanks, Danny! I'd just like to try out a school that doesn't have four wheels. How am I ever going to know what I'm missing if I don't check out the scene? Even so, the notion of a famous person attending a public place all by himself, even for just one day, is still pretty risky. Especially without the band's resident security detail making sure that nobody gets hurt. Fortunately, the other four-fifths of the band have that covered. Biscuit! B-Man, our favorite bodyguard! Just talking about you, B-Man! You gotta try out our chill in the video game! Sorry, Nico. Game time! Anyway, Joey gets to go to school like a normal kid and hopes to have a normal day in a normal world full of... Hold it! Gotcha! I'd know that look anywhere. You're a new kid. Uh, no, uh, actually I'm... What's the prob? So you just moved into the school district. No biggie. Okay, a massive point in the show's favor. Any cartoon that utilizes the voice of the legendary Cree Summer can't be all bad. They're Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain Brain. brain I deeply brain, resent brain, this. Trolls! Mousies! Most of the time, anyway. So, Joey gets to know his temporary surroundings, while his bandmates do a combination of reminiscing and watchdogging for any potential danger. High school! Feels like I never left! This is happening. Better lay low and chill. We're on dangerous ground here. Oh, I see what you mean, To say nothing of the meaningless, annoying, and hyperactive segues this show has. Seemingly at random, any and all activity taking place is interspliced with more footage of the new kids in concert. I'm guessing because this is a Deke production, they did this because either A, there wasn't enough story and they had to pad things out. B. There wasn't enough animation and they had to pad things out. C. As long as they had the rights to anything and everything involving the band, they might as well exploit the shit out of it by playing one of their biggest hits over said montage. Or D. 
The FDA wouldn't allow putting Ritalin in breakfast cereals, so the more hyper the editing is, the more likely the kids watching would pay attention to the show. Given the network that this aired on, I'm leading towards A, B, and C. As the rest of the new kids sneak around the school, the montage we just saw is followed by... <gasps> another montage featuring the new kids singing the praises of their fans and how psychotic they seem to be making them out to be. New kids have the best fans in the world, but in the hours before a show, a weird thing happens. Concert they crazy! Here's a typical new kids fan the day before the concert. Now watch what happens as we count down the concert time. Ah! On concert day, the best defense is to stay out of sight. So you see, we're not safe here. And since this show seems to be keen on patting itself out, I'll do exactly the same by commenting on the accents these animated new kids seem to want to use here. As we mentioned, the new kids hail from the New England area of the United States, particularly the suburbs of Boston a location that has been known far and wide for not only the people who speak with a certain accent, but also for the constant yet good-natured mocking of said accent. And all of a sudden, he's seen the car. So he started running down here. Next thing you know, dude's arguing. What's so queer? You are. And it's not just Cummings Park, it's Car Park, it's Playstead Park, it's throughout the community. You're under arrest for public display of a boner. You all know me. I'm not just a cop. I'm a father, I'm a son, and above all, I'm from Boston. Hopefully you see my point. The Boston accent is a pretty distinctive one, and even on a bad day, it's an accent that's pretty hard to screw up. I don't see what these kids' excuses are. We gotta hang with Joe! Okay, if we have to hide, let's at least do it in the gym. You would think that for all the money that Deke has spent to secure the rights to, at the time, the biggest group of Bostonians since the Revolutionary War, that there might have been enough left over in the budget for a dialect coach. Hell, you had footage of one of the actual new kids at the beginning of the show using the full power of his New England patois. Schools a big part of the kid's life. I know most Saturday morning cartoons don't often strive for authenticity, but... This? But in the hours before a show, a weird thing happens. Concert they crazy! It's a shame that Rosetta Stone language software wouldn't be invented for another two years. Anyway, Joey gets to learn the ins and outs of school thanks to his new friend, Cree Summer. I'm not gonna see much of the school from a dark room. Correction, you will see all, you will know all. Observe, this student body has its brains, its muscle, and its backbone. And where do you fit in? I don't. I mean, I just keep an eye on what everyone else is doing. Yeah, but isn't the best part of high school hanging with all the other kids? Yeah, I guess. Well, whatever. I'm not the only new kid around here, am I? Yeah, my parents move every year. I figure why bother making friends if you're just gonna have to leave them. All the while, I guess the band's bodyguard is what's going to have to pass for the show's frequent foil as he becomes the victim of... shenanigans. <laughs> Einstein said that Joe wanted to try out a real school. I didn't think he meant today. Man! The new kids in high school without their bodyguard? We better move! 
As the bodyguard and the band manager make chase, a pair of muscle-bound flunkies are telegraphing what half of the population may have been thinking at the time this aired. New kids on the block! Ugh, I love the new kids! They're so cute! If I ever meet those guys, I'll show them who's got the right stuff! Do we need to know this guy's backstory? No. No, we don't. And yet, here he is as this episode's sudden antagonist anyway, because I'm sure the writers of the episode were throwing darts at a copy of Mad Libs being pureed through a Cuisinart while rolling dice out of the Yahtzee Cup, or however randomness was generated in the early 90s. What's more, we wouldn't have to deal with this guy were it not for one of the new kids not knowing when to keep his mouth shut. The upstart new kids are about to take on Bruce and the undefeated Riverside Buccaneers. There's the kick. Anybody got a game plan? Run fast. Run very, very fast. It doesn't look good for the new kids. Can Joey Joe Mack bring this team back to its former glory? We'll find out after this. <laughs> Don't you mean after the break? Now there's new kids on the block fashion plate. They're hot. You're a fashion plate, fashion plate. Hey, fashion that wasn't plate a commercial break. We only got one per show and you know it. Now get back here. Though yes, that does segue ourselves into Act 2, where Joey tries to help out his fellow new kids without trying to blow his cover. Let's take another look at that spectacular pop in helmet crushing slow motion. Ouch! Oh, did I get first down? Try worse down. Can't watch my crew lose. Let's posse up. Yeah, we're gonna spin and we're gonna win. Our way. Are you ready to rock? Yo! You know, there's something about this show that has more than a couple of elements of familiarity. A pop band going all over the world, causing random shenanigans to take place, while a series of random, time-killing, plot-padding, and occasional fourth-wall-breaking and sometimes nonsensical segues are taking place. Why, oh, why does that sound familiar? Hey, wait your turn! You're next. Anyway, after winning over the football players, while at the same time remaining relatively incognito, they join in on some lunch in the school's cafeteria, where I'm sure nothing can possibly go wrong. No, kids! I think you can take your helmets off now. I'm starving! Okay, but eat fast. Huh? Stop, 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 stop. It's bad enough that I'm already dead. It'll be even worse if I get killed a second time by high-priced lawyers from across the pond. But yes, the new kid's cover is blown, the chase is on, and that would have been the perfect song to play for this sequence. So, let's try to meet each other halfway here. I'll accommodate. You can't get blood from a stone, folks. Anyway, now that the cover's been blown, 
Cree Summer experiences puberty for the first time. No, couldn't be. Wow. Oh, wow! So now, three different chases are on. The one with an entire high school out for blood, the one with the bodyguard and the manager trying to wrangle the boys, and the one-person mob of Freddie Brooks from a different world. Which mob will come out on top? Find out as the new kids rip off, uh, I mean, pay loving homage to Scooby-Doo chase scenes, complete with a wide shot of them crisscrossing themselves across different hallway doors and everything. And for the sake of convenience, I'm skipping the rest of this due to how much new kids music is used here. And I'd like to be able to afford exactly one slice of bread this month. Ultimately, we reach our climax where the act of thwarting crazed fans is being compared to a football game. The new kids on the block versus new kids on the block fans. Biscuit makes the save. He's at the 30, the 10. Touchdown! Just so spike me, okay? Yo, this way! Of course Cree Summer comes in to save the day because she's Cree Summer. And I've never once heard a bad word ever said about her as long as I've been alive or even long after I've died. Move it, guys! And also the football guy is nice to them now. I've seen mood swings in my day, but this 180 is enough to put manic depressives to shame. New kids, seen them? So that's who they were. They said something about going to their limo. Limo, they'll surround it. Dick. We're only talking fans here, they're just a little excited, that's all. Which brings us to... Uh, even for an animated TV show that tries to cash in on the success of something that flashes in a pan, something that suspension of disbelief itself would throw their hands up in the air and scream, Fuck this, I'm leaving! Teddy Bear to Fan Central, Fan Central, come in. They're not in the limo, repeat, not in the limo. Teddy Bear, our sources say that the new kids will try a counter move. Be prepared. Never mind the fact that Cree Summer is voicing a completely different character there, but yes, the teen fans seem to have a basement counter-terrorism unit whose sole purpose is to track down the new kids on the block. Maybe that Tommy Lee Jones clip from earlier was valid after all. Hard target search of every warehouse, farmhouse. So now it's five kids from Boston, their manager, their bodyguard, a high school football player, and a good Cree summer character seemingly against the world as the Boston boys try to plan their escape. Hey, Dick, we gotta ride home. Thanks to the homecoming committee, this year's Buccaneer float. And we've elected Joe our homecoming new kid. Is that a hype school experience or what? Let's kick it! Because, sure. Why not? Escape a platoon of screaming teen fans on a homecoming float, which will then take them to their limo. Because the world is a stupid place sometimes, and what else can you do but watch the activity with a slack jaw? Uh, hi. <gasps> we've got him. For the benefit of those with eyes, the parade float in question happens to be a mock-up of a pirate ship on account of the fact that this anonymous school's team happens to be named the Buccaneers. The new kids eventually come up with the idea to simply dislodge the boat from the float and sail away from the unruly mob. 
And since they're trying to escape on a parade float... Damn, they're very slowly getting away. And at the end of the day, everybody learned a valuable lesson. I guess this means that you won't be in school tomorrow. I can't be a new kid in a regular school. I'll have to go back to studying solo. Hey, you see, they zero sweat. We'll make it to the stadium. But it's gonna take hours. By now, they've already started the concert countdown. There's still a plot? Why is there still a plot? The band is literally and figuratively sailing off into the sunset. Why should there be more plot? Right now, we're going live to their dressing room for an exclusive pre-show interview! The new kids are missing. How the here did we go from not having enough plot to having way too much of it? We interrupt the special report to bring you a special report. The new kids are missing. Eyewitness reports indicate that they were kidnapped by space aliens. Oh no, it can't be! No! Just... Just... No! Them escaping the fans was the end of the story. There doesn't need to be anything else attached to it. Big time band, never make it. We're gonna be late. We've never been late for a show. Why is this happening? You already settled the main plot. There's no need to do any of this. This is Rip Pipkin live with the new kids. Sorry, man. Showtime. But, uh, but I... Okay, let's do it. Joe, you got a minute? Uh, sorry I caused so much trouble. Well, you could go to a regular school if you were a regular kid. If it means that much to you, I guess you could... Quit the group? That'd be unreal, Joe. Oh, oh don't Joe, do that, Joey. Joey. Joe, no. I've seen your future, Joey McIntyre. You and the rest of the new kids get to enjoy the band for a couple more years until, say, 1995. And then you all get to do solo projects. You all get to give acting a try on the stage and the screen. You all even try your luck as being TV presenters on various shows. All of which inevitably circles you back to touring with what's left of the Backstreet Boys as part of a tour that I'm astonished wasn't sponsored by Geritol, Asper Cream, and Sunsweet Prunes. Trust me when I say to your 1990 self that you have it good, whether you finish high school or not. Awesome day! You new kids know how to have a blast! <laughs> Your music ain't bad either. <laughs> it's more than partying and music. It's about friendship. That's what being a new kid's all about. Thanks for reminding me. This is where I belong. And that's it. That's all we got. Just a few more minutes of concert stock footage set to the tune of one of their lesser-known songs, which, again, we will not be playing. Not even because of music rights, but because this show felt like the equivalent of watching a lobotomy getting done while actively having a lobotomy done to you. The show lasted a mere four months from September to December of 1990, which was just long enough for them to put on a Christmas special in prime time. 
But by that point in time, the wave of success the band experienced started to crest, and then ultimately crash into a pile of rocks by the mid-1990s, only for each of the members to enjoy their aforementioned solo successes in the 2000s and beyond, followed by the I still can't believe this actually happened merger tour between them and the Backstreet Boys in the 2010s, or NKOTBSB for short. Good for them for sticking with their solo careers and side projects, but this cartoon was the epitome and the turning point of their fame and popularity. Not to mention the continuous notion that you can slap a popular name onto something and expect it to be successful. There may be a step-by-step -step playbook to trying to milk the success of others, but they're not immune from the nine-step program that we have to burn things. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. So long as there's already a template to go by thanks to Pro Stars, at least this makes our job slightly easier this time as the new kids series suffers from the same problems that any other byproduct of a sudden success suffers from. The fact that it tries to grab as much of that fame and fortune as it possibly can before the well inevitably runs dry. So you know the producers of the show, as well as the root product, are going to feel the need for greed. All in the hopes that the already devoted fans of that root entity can consume every last available product that's related to them in gluttonous joy and rapture even if it means that the voice actors who portray the characters in question are not actually voiced by the real deals, marking the show for fraud. All of which is happening in the guise of an animated cartoon which does more than enough to stretch the limits of reality as it is, but when the reality stretching is being done by people who exist in real life, you can't help but think that maybe there might be a little heresy involved against the flesh and blood counterparts. Just because something in pop culture is super popular doesn't mean that it has to be exploited to the nth degree. If they're successful, let them enjoy their success or let them ride off into the sunset. Anything on top of that would be overkill. The New Kids on the Block cartoon earns four out of nine circles of telehell. But if you think this is gonna be our last tango with the subject of exploiting popularity for the sake of a cheap cash-in, then have I got news for you. But that's gonna have to wait a little while, because so far, we covered a new show whose newness was arbitrary and unnecessary, and also a show whose newness just happens to be part of both their name and the fringe of pop culture. Wouldn't it be funny if there was a way to combine both of these things? So you Next time on Telehell, I've put this one off long enough. Now, are you guys musicians or actors first? <laughs> That's what you want to call it. Yeah, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a crazy salad of talent, I guess, or lack well, do, of. Do your angry. Do your angry. It does angry really well. <laughs> now, look at that. That is acting. Good. Are you sure acting is the first consideration? No, well, we'll, we'll soon see. Anyway. Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. 
Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. You know that thing that people do in order to communicate with each other without actually having to look each other face to face? You know, social media? Well, we do that. Look for us on X, Facebook, and now Blue Sky. All three of them at Telehell Podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and pretty much tell us what you think of our show everywhere that you can stream us. And also in our complaint line, telehealthpodcast at gmail.com.